We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we produce this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land, and we believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation and respect. I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome to The Intersection. Many people know our guest today as the Senior Vice President and Practice Leader at Environics Analytics, one of North America's premier marketing and analytical service companies. But today, Alan candidly shares his story of what he refers to as his second birthday, May 28, 2016. I think Alan's story of resilience, recovery, and rebirth will inspire you to embrace every moment of this crazy, busy, and sometimes fragile life. Please join me in welcoming Alan Davidoff to The Hub. All right, Alan, welcome to The Hub. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. Uh well, I'm I'm so glad that you're here. I mean, you've always been part of my professional network and I just you're so a social media cheerleader for me and every time you like or retweet something I get a little serotonin hit. So, thank you for being so generous. Um I'm sure lots of other people feel the same way. Um my absolute pleasure. I love cheering other people on and seeing the great work that they produce. So, you, I love the podcast. You're so generous in that regard, really, Alan. You really really are. And I know that a lot of people know you uh, as a data person. Do you think that that's fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, data person, data geek, triathlon. I think some some people know me as a triathlete. Some people see me as a dog owner. Some people a see dog me owner. Oh, I haven't seen I haven't seen you on fundraising dogs at all. Um, what what you don't often talk about now is back back in the day, you have quite an extensive experience with charity. I do. I do. I, I was in the charity sector for 10 plus years, 12 plus years, um, spent a lot of time fundraising, spent a lot of time marketing and branding, um, started at Habitat and made my way through to Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation, worked on the Run for the Cure, um, a really fun project and really inspiring to see all those people walk um, on uh, on run day, as well as Habitat, seeing people becoming homeowners and really getting a hand up um, uh, was incredible to experience. And then I uh, spent some time in the hospital sector. Um, started at St. John's, which is now part of Sunnybrook. Um, spent some time in North York General and then uh, Sinai. So some great institutions that we all now see do some incredible work. I think not just now, but even earlier. Um, but, you know, healthcare workers are really stepping up during this difficult time. So I'm um, really proud to be part of those organizations and seeing how they continue to inspire and do some great work. Well, and certainly all of that experience, I'm sure, helps you now as a senior vice president. Is it senior? It's senior now. You just got a promotion, right? I did. Um, and lead, is it lead development? Practice leader. Uh, and a practice leader. So, or Environics, uh, right? Yes, Environics Analytics. So, essentially, when I started, I, I led 
the uh, not-for-profit and education sectors, given my background, made sense. Um, but just about three months ago, I was promoted and I now oversee the government, energy, transportation, and education, as well as not-for-profit sector. So I lead the team that does that. And it's been tremendous to see different sectors use data and dig into it and kind of look at from government perspective, how do we communicate to citizens and tell them about vaccines and tell them about um, what's going on and what's right and what's wrong and what would we like them to do um, from the energy sector, looking at sort of products and how do you get people to embrace green energy and sort of become a little more green and try to move that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then obviously from the not-for-profit sector and all the people that listen to the podcast looking at how do you become a better fundraiser and a marketer? <laughs> well, I know that I know that you really believe in environics and you've been there for quite some time and uh, will help people connect with that company and also with you on LinkedIn. But we wanted to kick Paul out of the hub today to have a more intimate conversation. Is that possible? Can you really kick Paul out? <laughs> no. Oh, we'll let him back and we'll talk about all things data another time or anything because he's such a great, great generalist who's way smarter than we are. But um, yeah. but today I want, wondered if maybe you could tell me a little bit about May 28th, 2016 and what happened that day. Um, it was... A day that I now look at as my second birthday. It's a day that I feel as much as I've experienced something really difficult, there was a lot of great things that came out of it. So on May 28th, for those that don't know my story, um, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, um, as a triathlete, I was five or six weeks away from a race, um, a half Ironman race, and I decided, look like a great morning, let's go for a ride. It was Saturday. Um, and just before actually, not many know this, uh, my son just made it his first hockey team, um, a select team. So he was having his uh, sweater sizing that morning too. So I was kind of trying to do two things, wear a couple of different hats, wear the triathlete hat, as well as the dad hat, because I was rushing back to take him to uh, his sweater fitting. And I went out for a ride, felt really great. Um, and as I was looking at my clock and ready to head back, um, I guess I had what, you know, a really big accident. Uh, I was swiped by a car. So I was traveling about 40 kilometers per hour and the car is guesstimated. So the police did some investigations and based on where I landed and all the scrapes and all the other stuff that happened, um, the car was going about over a hundred. And the, the guess is that I was swiped by a side mirror I was pulled off my bike and dragged across the road, um, a fairly good distance, um, completely on my head and my face. Um, and not to be too, too gruesome, but I guess everyone's face is connected by nerves and three of my nerves were severed on my face. Um, and I was left. So I was really lucky enough that a gentleman who happened to just be riding um, that I had seen maybe 30 minutes earlier, ended up catching up um, and just pulled over and pulled out his phone and called an ambulance. Um, and they rushed me to the hospital. They kind of brought me back to life. And then I was rushed to another hospital where I had some surgery. 
And throughout that time, completely blacked out. Just remember three little moments that I probably will remember for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel very grateful and very lucky that I survived that day. And uh, it's like I by starting this story, it's it's really changed me. It's taught me a few lessons. It Let me, can me I just interrupt you for a second? Yeah. I'm wondering sure. if you feel like sharing those three moments that you remember. Um, first moment, I remember waking up in the ambulance and then one of the paramedics noticed that I sort of uh, woke up and she asked who Debbie is and that was my wife. And I said wife and then I blacked out. Mm -hmm. And lucky enough, she used my finger and actually pressed it on my phone and called my wife. Um, and that's how they found, that's how she found out. And they didn't tell her how severe it was. They didn't say anything. They just said, come to the, come to the hospital. So she arrived with my kids and, um, as she tells the story in her blog, um, she's a blogger, mm -hmm. um, that she just thought I fell off a bike. That's all they told her. They didn't tell my injuries or anything. And they, and my kids and my wife rolled up to the hospital, walked into the emergency and saw the image of me just laying there with my face sort of ripped off. And uh, it's something that I remember because I've seen pictures since um, and just I can't imagine being in her shoes and thinking, you know, this is my husband laying there and then my kids, my poor little kids. So that was moment number one. That was moment number one. Moment number two um, was right before they put me into the MRI machine. I woke up as I'm just about to go in and again, the nurse noticed that I opened my eyes and she's like, are you okay? And then she said, do you have anything on your body that would be bad for the MRI machine? Said, like, I don't know. Do I have a body left? What? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> All I see is a light. Um, it's great. I can make light of it too. Yeah. Um, and I just said tattoos, tattoos, tattoos. <laughs> and then I passed out. Um, and then the other moment was actually when I was, if I took the one in between was when I was in the emergency, just waiting, I guess I was just brought in and I saw my dad um, come in and I saw him just sitting, looking at me and just saying, my poor Alan, my poor Alan. And I kind of just looked up um, and I just said, I'm okay. And then I passed out. So those are three little seconds that I remember. That's all I remember. It's amazing um, how those moments stick with us for the rest of our lives, don't they? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right. So thank you for sharing that intimate detail. I do want to um, put a link to, is it Deb? Deb's blog. Yeah. Um, and in the notes so that we can read her perspective. I think people will be interested in that. Yeah. So you must have had quite a long recovery. <laughs> Um, yes and no. I think the, uh, the crazy person in me really pushed really hard and, um, got back to work. So it happened in, at the end of May, uh, by August, I was sitting at my desk at Sinai, um, back to work, really, you know, wanting to be there. And that was actually one of the first lessons I learned and the big, one of the big mistakes I made, I rushed back. Mm -hmm. I thought I was, a superhero. I thought I could just get back to being myself and I pushed myself to get back to being myself because I was, I was just in that place where I didn't want to remember what was behind me. And I just wanted to be 
who I was before. Um, yeah, so I pushed myself. By August, I was sitting at my desk. I was trying to be in the office every single day and I kept on hearing, we should make this slow, a slow recovery, come in once or twice a week, a couple of hours here and there. And I said, nope, I'll be here tomorrow, 8 a.m. Hmm. Do you, you, you did listen to Claire Warner's um, story of breast cancer survival, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. She talked about the same thing that when her treatment was over, she needed to get back to work straight away. What yeah. is that about us? What is that? I don't know. So, so you went back to work. How did that work out for you? I did not last that. Uh, I was back home by the end of the week, not being able to go back. I didn't last the week. I, some of just my head injuries sort of continued. Um, I was still a little bit in the fog, uh, which continued for a little while. Um, and I just didn't have my strength back. And as much as I tried to push and as much as I tried to go on walks and I even tried to run a little bit, I just, I wasn't me. Um, so I decided to restart my sort of recovery. Alan, um, was it primarily brain injury that you had to, had to deal with or did uh, you have other physical injuries? Physical, most of the injuries were actually around my face. Mm -hmm. So when I spoke about the different nerves, Three of them were severed. Two of them they thought would never um, function again. So parts of my face would never function. And my doctor says that I'm one of her best patients. Um, and right now I just have one that actually is semi-functional and the rest did. So a lot of people, when they see me after my pictures and whatnot say, oh my God, you look amazing and you look exactly the same. Um, deep down inside, actually, the bottom of my face still doesn't have the same function. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty numb. I can't feel much mm -hmm. um, outside of like a little ball inside. Well, you know, you're incredibly good looking. So, uh, <laughs> it, that, so that wasn't surgery then. You were born this way, your friends would say. Yes. The doctor <laughs> yeah. would say something else completely. <laughs> the doctor worked bloody hard on that. <laughs> yes. She's very, very proud of herself. <laughs> Do you want to give a shout out to the hot? Well, before we get to the end of that part of the story, yeah. I'm curious between May and well, you said you restarted your recovery, but what were the biggest physical challenges? This may seem obvious, but what were the biggest physical challenges you had to overcome in that period? Did you have to learn how to talk again? Um, not, not fully. I mean, I had to remember how to move my mouth. Okay. Um, my mouth was shut for the uh, first number of weeks, maybe even months. Um, I couldn't really open it, move it. Um, I had to, so physically facial sort of expressions and movement from the top of my face to the bottom um, I had to relearn sort of, or kind of push myself to re-engage those different muscles, um, physically other parts, um, just my body took a beating as much as I kind of skid on my face, um, and my head, my body just took a beating my legs and my arms and stuff. So you were literally dragged by a car, right? I was thrown off by the car. I was, I was pushed by the, uh, just by sort of uh inertia of the move you know how much i was propelling myself forward and the car pushed i want so, to honor the curiosity of our listeners um was the driver ever found or held accountable in any way they were not they were not um i did listen and my wife went and she got the uh recordings from 
the 911 call um, as well as the ambulance and stuff because I even wanted to reach out to the gentleman that saved my life and I don't even know who that is. Um, So to this day, there is a gentleman out there that I've never seen since in the five years and there's a five year anniversary coming up um, that I just wanted to thank for saving my life. And they said, if I was out there for another 10, 20, 30 minutes, I wouldn't be here today. Um, so, so if you're listening and on May 28th, 2016, you're, which road was this on? Was it, uh, it was up North. It was just outside of Bayview and, um, I think 16th line road. So where did you go? Um, what, where did you call on the resilience and strength that you needed during that time to keep going. You had mentioned Ironman training. Was it just grit? Um, you know, there's a couple of things that came from it. It's a little bit of grit. It's a little bit of, I wanted to teach, there was a couple of lessons I wanted to teach my kids out of this. Mm -hmm. So the first and foremost, um, at that point I had, a six-year-old and a three-year-old who were starting to get into sports, starting to make teams. And one of the lessons I wanted to teach them is, you know, you can get, you can fall, you can fall off something, but you got to get back up regardless of what that is, regardless of the moment. If you don't make something, if you don't make a team or you fail, there's always an opportunity to come back and succeed again. So the big lesson and a big driver for me um, in succeeding and going back and doing an Ironman was to show them, look, here's dad, you know, someone that you think maybe was a superhero. He obviously got knocked down a couple of pegs. <laughs> um, but again, dad got back up. Dad got back on his bike. Dad went and did the Ironman that he was going to, you know, finish and that he didn't get to. So the lesson there for a big thing for me and a big driver was I wanted to show my kids that regardless of what it is that if you fall down, you can get back up, you can brush yourself off, and then you could try again and you could succeed. So that was a huge driver for me every day. Mm-hmm. When I looked at what I wanted to accomplish, it was one of the big motivators to see my kids and to show them that you could do that in life in any aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And we don't yeah. all have to get knocked off our bike and, and have a ordeal the way you did. I mean, sometimes it can feel pretty dark for a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. So seeing, you know, that's one of the, we talked about this. This is one of the reasons why we think it's important to share your story of comeback and resilience, because there are a lot of people who are going in some pretty dark times right now and you can do it. So, so you said in August, so you, you've demonstrated for your kids that, you know, to be to be resilient sportsmen and, and just go through life that way. Of course Um, you said in August, you went back to work and then you gave yourself a reset. You just Mm -hmm. knew that you weren't ready. You were pushing too hard. What did that look like for you? Um, It was a huge disappointment. I, I've always been one to push myself and I was taught, you know, you push yourself as far as you can go. And then, Um, whether you succeed or not, at least going through that experience will teach you something. And it was really hard to sit there to feel that you failed, failed in so many different ways. Um, so what I did and what's it, what it really taught me that I use to this day and I've used through COVID and other experiences is that 
you got to listen to yourself. I think we spend so much time just running towards something that we don't pause, we don't think, we don't feel, and we don't listen to ourselves. And I think, you know, COVID's to a degree really done that for a lot of people. It just made you pause and think we have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of time to just sit there and listen and really um, take stock of the moment. And it did that for me where I could, I was starting to better understand myself. Mm-hmm. I really spent the time to understand what my goals were, my goals in life, um, what I could do, what I can't do. And then when I made a decision to go for an Ironman to, you know, to look at just my life and my trajectory, and that's also where I made a change career-wise, um, a lot of things were very intentional. Um, and it also taught me how to build team, mm-hmm. to understand who are the people that you need around you. And I know, you know, a lot of us are going through a difficult time now with COVID, some by themselves and some with others. But there are people out there that you could connect with and talk to, whether it's through social media um, or, you know, just pick up the phone and maybe reach out to a friend or whatever it is, whoever's, you know, uh, crossing your path. And it just taught me to understand what I needed around me and the team I needed around me. All right. So if that made any logical sense, you're you're. You're, it, it made absolute sense and you're plowing through it. So if you don't mind, <laughs> I'm wondering if we could just dig just a little bit deeper back to, we'll get back to building a team. Yep. And uh, I really wanna talk about the feelings and the process that you had when you did complete that Ironman, you know, getting started after mm-hmm. having such a massive he- setback and, um, and have you have completed it now since, right? I completed a half. And then just before COVID, I completed a whole. Ooh, wow. That's just, um, that's amazing. So, all right. So let's talk about that. And I also made a note because you also went through, you know, the importance of taking, giving yourself space to be and just live in the moment that you're in mm-hmm. before plowing forward. Yeah. Um so maybe let's talk about that and then we'll learn about your Ironman experience and we'll get back to team building because I think that's probably uh, a great piece of learning. So taking space. Yeah. How did you how did you do that? What did that look like for you? Um, it was I, you know, I had nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were forced. It was forced on you. I was forced. I was <laughs> laying in bed some days with migraines and headaches and you know, there are moments that I couldn't remember people's names. And a lot of people don't know this, that during that time and even the year past that time yeah. where I would be out, I would see people at conferences, you know, I would see you, Kim, at conferences. And the funny thing is that I actually didn't remember a lot of people's names mm-hmm. and it was embarrassing and it was difficult. It was like playing fish in your head constantly, looking right. at someone's face and their name and trying to put the two together. And so do you're doing this podcast, podcast today because you want people to know that you're not an asshole. You just yes. had a brain injury. <laughs> I apologize if I thought you were somebody else. I apologize if I brought back a memory that wasn't true. Uh, but you know, I, I, this isn't about me, um, but I do think about family members because my son did have a very serious concussion and yeah. he could not remember how to, a doorknob worked. Yeah. And that was very scary. 
Yeah. Was just, you know, taking a moment here to acknowledge brain injuries and Mm -hmm. how everything in our system says, my arms aren't broken. I can walk. I can move. I can talk. What's wrong with me? And for everybody around you and your family, um, it's really can be very scary and frustrating. Yeah. If you're Um, having that time. And it's really, I I would go, you know, the mental health aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So when I was taking stock, I was looking at, I can't function the way I used to. Right. I can't think on my feet about fundraising the way I used to. I would be sitting there for that week at work and people would ask me questions. What do you think about this or that? And I like, I couldn't remember back. So I couldn't give them a straight answer of what's the best approach on fundraising or marketing. Right. You were no Um, longer the leader that you worked your entire career to be. Yeah. I couldn't rely on memory. I couldn't rely on experience because it wasn't necessarily all there. Um, So that mental health aspect, again, tying to where we are and a lot of, you know, people suffer in silence when it comes to mental health and, you know, that week and the the months afterwards, I'd be told and we sort of touched upon it, you know, you look great. I can't believe you're in an accident, you're healing, you look great. But on the inside, I was constantly going through this painful experience of I can't remember your name. Mm. I can't remember where I know you from. Mm -hmm. I know that we know each other. But I can't like, constantly going through that exercise and trying to teach myself um that's where you know those moments i i kind of just sat back and said i need to figure out how to fix this i need to do what i need to do to fix this um so what did that look like for you where was the hope when did you start to see progress there um it comes back a little bit to the team um Mm -hmm. it was that i was i was able to just through connections and people and my curiosity just reach out to different doctors. My brother-in-law is a doctor, so he knew a bunch of people. Um, Obviously I worked at Sinai, so I can ask for a little bit of help. Asking for help was hard. Um, But through this exercise, I built a little bit of a a health team around me that helped, Mm -hmm. um, that were saying, you know what, this is normal. This is how it's supposed to feel. Um, And seeing a sports psychiatrist, um, therapist, about brain injuries. He spoke to me about different things, having a physio, you know, work with me to say, these are the things that you should be doing. And this is where you should be at. If you want to just be normal, mm-hmm. back to normal, forget about triathlon. That was not even, you're right. Triathlon is off the table for now. Let's get your brain working again. Well, that's what they all said. And that's what they all thought. Right. Okay. Um, so how did you defy them? Um, it was just, it was a little bit of, what we had spoken up in the beginning is just that I wanted to put all this stuff behind me. I thought triathlon and completing one might do that. Mm -hmm. Get me back to normal. It'll help me push me there faster. Mm -hmm. So deep down inside, part of it was that part of it was the kids part and the goal. Part of it was, I just want to feel normal again. What did it feel like to get on a bike again? That one, uh, it was hard. It was scary. As much as I told my wife, I was not scared. Please don't tell her I told you. Okay. Well, she, she <laughs> won't listen to this. So it's fine. Absolutely not. She was scared. <laughs> I had so much anxiety uh-huh. that first time to get on the bike. Um, 
it's just, it felt like I was that little kid, that six or seven year old who was learning how to ride a bike without training wheels for the first time. Um, and then the first time, you know, you get out of your neighborhood, you go down, you know, a, a road with cars coming and seeing them whiz by you. It was just that same anxiety every single time. Sure. Um, but I just kept on saying, I want to be normal again. I just want my life back. I just want my life back. So just keep on going. And so I want to, I want to just maybe look at that just a little bit because what it sounds like you're saying is you were deeply anxious you were really scared and you ignored all of that and you just plowed forward yeah. is that what it was or did you find or was there another tool or something that you learned about the experience that helped you overcome the anxiety um i don't even know if that's a sensible question alan but um you know, I've, I've always been of the belief and I've been taught um, since I was a little kid that you're never given more than you can chew. I'm not much of a religious person. Um, well, at least vocally. Um, and it's nobody, just nobody listens to this. So, but it's just something that my parents always taught me that you're never given more than you can chew. Uh -huh. So in those moments, as I kept on pushing and nudging and nudging and nudging and pushing myself, I just thought that's one of the thoughts that I've had is I'm not given more than I could chew. Right. So, so I, sh I could, I can probably handle this. I could do this. I could do this. And every time I would, I would be like, huh, look at that. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just go forward that way. And that's sort of one of the tools. It's just, you know, coming back to your values, your beliefs, like how you grow up and, and whatnot. It's just using, those would be my tools. The people around me and their encouragement um, would be my tools. Um, so my wife, you know, she put a lot on her shoulders during that time. I'm probably even more on the, on the side when she saw me on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, seeing my kids cheer me on and see, you know, their faces and stuff. It just, I kept on saying to myself, I'm not getting more than I can chew and I could do this and I can get back to being, you know, who I want to be. And my dreams are not that, you know, unattainable. Your dreams are within your reach. Yeah. They're unattainable. They're definitely attainable. So there's some people like me who are just happy if we can do a few burpees. So can you <laughs> outline please um, just uh, the definition of an Ironman. There's biking and swimming. Yep. And running. And running. So a full Ironman is 3.9 kilometer swim, 180 kilometer bike, and a 42.2 kilometer run. Wow. That's longer than a marathon. Is the running broken up at all? Uh, no. So you do the swim first, uh -huh. then you do the bike, and then you go do the run. So the run is a marathon. So it's a marathon at the end of two incredibly long um, disciplines. Okay. So it is a, it is a massive miracle, actually, now that we've talked about your entire journey of being that fit, to being that debilitated, to being yeah. able to do that. Like, yeah. How long did it take you? So uh, the half Ironman, I'm about... Uh, just under six hours. So no, I mean, no, that's not what I meant. I meant, how long did it take you to get into shape for it? Oh, uh -huh. oh. 
different question. Different question. Um, it takes, I, I mean, I've, I'm in pretty good shape. So to get back into shape, it, it wasn't overly difficult body-wise, mm-hmm. um, but it took a good year or two to get back into, like, to get to that Ironman. It took me a good two years to get there. So, yeah, it took a little bit of time, but... What was um, it like to finish it, Alan? Um, at the end of the Ironman where I was in Montreal, I did in Montreal, there's what they call, like, the ending shoot, the runner shoot at the very end, the last... The last 200 meters or so you're surrounded by people on either side and people come out um so you get to do you start the race around seven o'clock is the starting line by midnight is sort of the cutoff and it is incredible to see how many people keep on coming back at 9 10 11 and even 12 o'clock you will see hundreds of people line up just to see who finishes and coming down that chute even when I did the first the half, um, I did 11 months after my accident. Um, so I did both in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, I cried. That last 100 meters before I got to the finish line, I was actually crying. People probably thought I was sweating. Um, <laughs> but I was crying because I was just experiencing everything that the last couple of years or from the first one, the 11 months, what I went through. And I was in tears um, and then the great part about the full one that I did, um, 2019 was I did something completely different. I didn't go for time. I just went for the experience. So I, it probably stretched out a couple more hours than I wanted to, but I experienced every single kilometer of that race. When there were volunteers on the side of the road with water, I would stop. And if there was music, I would dance. <laughs> if there were people waving with their signs on the side of the road, I would like stop and cheer little kids on their parents' shoulders. I would give people high fives as I went through. So it took me 14 hours to do it, which is a really <laughs> long time. Super painful. But that day meant the world to me. Um, my kids were there. My wife was there. My in-laws were there. I remember stopping to see him as I kept on circling around. I gave them high fives. I stopped to uh, to uh, kiss my kids. I just was having the time of my life. And again, it was just seeing back what had happened and all the work that I had put into it. I just, I wanted to experience it to its fullest. You didn't take a single thing for granted that day. No, no. I just enjoy the race from start to finish. And that's sort of how I'm looking at life. So, you know, your comments about how kind I am on social or how nice people say I am, it's just because I've been through this experience. I don't think it's worth being mad at people. I don't think it's worth being upset at people or being negative and and whatnot. It's just, if I could be extra kind and just promote somebody because they're doing some great work, why not? And I mean, we see other people do it. Look at Paul, your co-host. Oh, yeah, Paul's great. His, I, I, I've been accused. Five awards. You know, the, the term toxic positivity does come up when you mention that. But I um, I have I have to say that I, I land more. We have challenges. We need to celebrate. We need to celebrate each other mm-hmm. um, and the and lift each other up. And I, 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 I agree. 
with you wholeheartedly. And I love how you show up in the world um, because it's just such a boost, not just for me, but for everybody that you lift up. So thank you. Thank so you. What, so many people did that for me uh, through my difficult time. So um, I just, I want to give back and I want to do it that way. And I want to make sure that, you know, when I do show up, I treat people like I want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of difficulties in the world and I know there's a lot of conver- hard conversations. Sure, that there are. Yes. Um, but I think we could also bring a little bit of that listening and that sort of humanity and the respect mm-hmm. to the table when we have those conversations. Because that's also something that I'm I'm starting to see we're doing a little bit less of. Mm-hmm. We tend to jump right away on someone and try to, there's a lot more conflict off the bat versus understanding you did this. It's not right. Why did you do it? Yeah. Let's talk my, about it. Let's talk about it. And you're absolutely wrong in what you did. And I'm not calling people out for, you know, giving them a free pass, which right. absolutely shouldn't happen. Right. But I think we've, we've stopped listening to each other and talking to each other and supporting each other. Um, and if I could do that, if I could do that with my team, I think, why not? Well, you, demonstrate grace and compassion. Uh, And uh, I was going to end this conversation by asking you the top three lessons of this experience uh, for other folks. I think for people who've listening, this is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I'll no, you do it because I don't want to mess it up or put words in your mouth. So I think I'm kind of curious. Are you? you? (laughs) Well, um, not to put you on the spot. No, you, you spoke about comeback, you know, that, that when we are in times of adversity, that you know, that the light will return, that you can do this, that resilience and that grit to fight and model that for your family and your friends. And you talked about the importance of asking for help and surrounding yourself with a team, um, when you need it and to know that we're not infallible. Am I using that word properly? I hope yeah. I am. Um, that that sometimes we do need help and it's okay to surround yourself with people who are going to help you be your best person. And um, and then I love, I love what you said about celebrating the small moments along the way. And I just have this vision of you in that final Ironman just taking in every single second of it. And I wish that we could all uh, take more time to celebrate those small moments along the way, because life is awesome. (laughs) The little things, the little, it's spring now. So we've got all sorts of magic happening outside. We just have to stop and take a moment to, um, to appreciate it. So that's, those are the lessons that I heard. Did I get that all right? Absolutely. And you did every single one justice. You said it better than I could have. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful to have you share some of your personal story with us. I, I do think that people will get value from it. And I'm, and, and uh, I just hope you'll come back and we can continue our conversations. would love to. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the time to share this story. Alan, I think I can speak for many of us when I say happy second birthday. We are so glad that you were here with us today to share your story and we'll continue to follow your positive influence. 
folks, please remember to like, subscribe, review, and share this podcast. You can also join the conversation on a variety of other platforms by visiting intersectionhub.ca. We would love to welcome you into our community. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your day with us here today. See you next time.